Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. All right, Brianna, thank you so much for joining me on the Preacher Boys podcast. Can you just give a little bit of context about your introduction to the IFB and how you first got introduced to the New Beginnings Girls Academy. I was in New Beginnings Girls Academy. Um, I was placed there when I was 15 years old. Um, It was December 26, 2006. Um, I was living in Corona, California. Uh, Just some little background, like um, I've had a really rough upbringing, like love was never an emotion that was shown to uh, shown to me and my adoptive family was very abusive. Uh, It's uh, my adoptive mom was physically abusive and my adoptive dad was sexually abusive. And um, when I was 14, I told my adoptive mom that my uh, adoptive dad was molesting me and she didn't, I think she believed me, but I don't think she wanted to believe me. So uh, she sent me away to uh, different like family members and, um, and it didn't work ever. I was very rebellious. And then um, I started running away. Uh, I was 12 years old. The first time I ever caught my, like I got an assault charge when I was 12 years old. It was the first time I'd really been in trouble. But at 12 years old is when my rebellion started. I, I was a registered runaway by 12. And um, I, if I wasn't in a, like a, a group home, I was in juvenile hall. If I wasn't in juvenile hall, then um, I was with a family member and I was running away from them. Um, nobody could ever keep me anywhere. I was angry and I was hurt and I was alone and I just wanted to be loved. And um, right. so at four, so let me see, at 15 years old, um, I got placed in the home. And uh, okay. I was actually in a runaway shelter in Riverside, California. It's called Safe House. Okay. And um, I was I it, I was a regular at that program, and um, uh, I got woke up in the middle of the night. It was uh, the day after Christmas, and um, they told me they escorted me to a car, and in the car was my adoptive mom, and she was telling me I was about to go to a boarding school. She didn't tell me much. She had already had a bag packed for me. I never looked in the bag. I never, you know, she. She tried to sound excited about it, but my adoptive mom and I, we didn't have a relationship um, at all. 
right. she was very physically abusive, you know, and she didn't want to believe what her husband was doing to me. And I had a lot of resentment and anger and hatred towards her. So when she told me that, you know, I'm going to this program, I really didn't, I didn't care. I wanted to get away. So put me anywhere, but don't put me back in the house. Right. So I just kind of just went with it. And um, she told me a man named Brother McNamara was going to pick me up at the airport. And uh, mm. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I was like, Brother McNamara? I'm thinking, you know, it was going to be like a Catholic thing. Because, you know, like I, <laughs> right. I had no idea because we grew up Lutheran. We grew up. So it was like, you know, I didn't I didn't know what the heck that meant. But uh, so she put me on an airplane and I got picked up in Pensacola, Florida. By Brother McNamara. I knew exactly who he was when I seen him. He was a little bald man. He had a really nice outfit on. And the girls he was with, I thought they looked Amish because of how they were dressed. And I'm like, what the heck? And then they pick me up. And as soon as I get to where they could like get to me, uh, he had two girls with him and another male staff. They uh, approached me and the girls kind of got in front of me a little bit because um, I'm a runner. You know, I'm a registered runaway. Right. So they... Uh, then told me that if I didn't mind, they were going to lock me. And I didn't know what that meant. I was like, what? And so they grabbed a hold of both of my shoulders, you know, and like locked me. So it held me and told me I needed to put my hands like this and just to cooperate. And I, you know, I've been in juvenile hall so many different times and I've been in different, you know, I kind of, I was like, all right, well, this is about to be a really strict program. I knew instantly. Right. But I really didn't know what was about to happen. Like, no, it was, it was 50, I was 15 years old. You know I mean, it was a lot to take in. Right. But like my, like, okay. So I was in the program twice. My first time in the program, okay. I kind of, I, you know, I was in different programs before. So I, I always know there's a get down to the program to get out, you know? And right. I, uh, I observed and these people, I mean, they shoved God down your throat. Like you had to believe the way that they believed. Otherwise horrible things would happen. And, um, you know, so I rose my hand at the perfect time. I said, praise God. Uh, I even, they, Brother Matthew even had put me on the, on the stand, you know, up out there to tell my testimony in front of churches during the summer when we would take us on tour. And, um, but I faked my way through the first time and I got out on my year and, um, they sent me back to Southern California to my adoptive family. And from there, they, uh, they sent me to my adoptive grandma in Wisconsin. And by this time I'm 16. And I'm like, you know, I drop out of school because I'm like, I don't, I don't want to go back to school. I always got into fights. I was really just rebellious. And um, so then my grandma says, hey, you want to take GED classes? And I'm like, hey, that's a really good idea. I don't want to be 40 years old trying to relearn this stuff, you know? So I meet some guys at the GED classes. And okay. um, I ended up stealing my grandma's car. And I ended up going to a party. And I and they it was horrible, you know, and I messed up. My adoptive mom gets on the phone after the whole, I get caught and everything happens. My adoptive mom gets me on the phone and says, you're going back. I could not imagine spending another year of my life in that place. It's not like I was treated poorly the first time. It was, I had seen things like I had seen them like JCMT girls. I had seen, you know, there was a girl named she ran away when I was in the home. And when she ran away, she got picked up and she got raped. And it was, it was a very traumatic, you know, I me mean, were like, oh my gosh. And then, right. so, you know what I mean? But Brother Mac told us the reason why that happened is because she ran away from the truth that God was punishing her. And he used the scare tactic. So like, uh, I only saw that one time that one girl ever tried to run away the whole time I was there, you know, because I mean, there's other times girls tried to run away, but I never witnessed it. Yeah. But when my adoptive mom told me you're going back, 
I thought in my head, no, I'm not. <laughs> but she put me on a Greyhound bus in Minneapolis, Minnesota. <laughs> this is the hard part. <sighs> and I ended up meeting a guy on the bus. And my mom, my adoptive mom tells me I need to get from Minneapolis to Springfield. No, Minneapolis to Kansas City and from Kansas City to Springfield. Brother Mac was gonna pick me up in Springfield and take me back to the home. And between Minneapolis and Kansas City, this guy befriended me, talked to me, told me he had a wife and a house. And long story short, I ended up skipping buses from Kansas City and going to St. Louis with him. And he turned out to be a pimp. And he put me on Craigslist. And they took me back, to, back up to Minnesota where we ended up getting caught. Hmm. And uh, I wouldn't tell the cops my last name because I knew the second they run my name, they would see that I was want, supposed to, you know, I was you know, reported a runaway from Minnesota right. or Missouri and I was going to go back to the home. I did not want to go back. So they ended up, you know, I was there for a couple of weeks. I went to a clinic just to make sure everything was okay because of, you know, what had happened. So when I was in the clinic, I wrote my last name on the paper. Mm. And uh, they ended up finding my family. And my adoptive family showed up at the shelter before I could ever get any results back or anything. And uh, they child locked me back in the car and took me back to Missouri. Like now I was really going to get there. Like, no, you know, I couldn't find it this time. And this is about and, uh, what age here? 16. 16. Okay. Yeah. And um, I show up back up at the home and I, this is June, 2008, by the mm -hmm. way. Okay. I show back up at the home and I had been out for just a couple months and I remember waking up because I showed up in the middle of the night. They took me to the, to the dorm and, you know, I went to bed. I woke up and everybody's staring at me because, like, I had a chance to get out. And I got out and I'm back. But nobody knew what happened to me. Right. And when I went down to the cafeteria, my first breakfast back, it wasn't going to be like the last time I was in the home when I was able to fake my way. This time I knew it was going to be different. and it was. Brother Mac told me the reason why I'd been pimped out was because that was God's way of punishing me for knowing the truth and leaving and not practicing the truth. I wasn't allowed to deal with what happened to me. I couldn't talk about it. That was negative talk. I wasn't allowed. I wasn't allowed to talk about it. And um, so when I get back, I start getting sick my stomach hurts. And I keep telling him my stomach hurts, my stomach hurts. Um, it got to the point where I could barely walk. I had a fever and it took me peeing blood for Miss Heather to finally convince brother Mac to take me to the hospital. Like I had to go and they took me to the hospital and I had contracted chlamydia from being prostituted. And I had an infection so bad. I had pelvic inflammatory disease. And the doctor was like, why didn't you come in sooner? I told him for a month and a half I was sick. I've talked about that story with girls in the home, and they remember me being sick. I couldn't even get out of bed when they finally took me to the hospital. Right. And uh, Brother Matt kept telling me, you know, it, was, it wasn't like, oh, come here, give, give me a shoulder to cry. Nobody offered condolence. Nobody offered any kind of, just let me talk into I had just gone through a very traumatic experience and it was, right. you know, and nobody would let me talk about it. So my second time in the home, I was rebellious. Hmm. I was so rebellious. I was on red shirt, uh, 90, like 90% of the time. 
Probably 95% of the time. And red shirt is? Um, Discipline. I'm guessing. Okay. It's where, um, so, okay, so Brother Mac uh, has built this program on an 11 demerit system okay. where you get demerits for things you do wrong. You don't get merits for good things. You get demerits. And so you're wow. only allowed 11 demerits within a week. And more, more than a couple things are combined amounts. Like, all right, if you don't say yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am, or yes, you, that's three demerits for disrespect. Boom, right off the top. Okay, there's okay. three out of 11, you know. And if you get more than 11, you're on discipline, which means you're not allowed to talk on Friday fun night. You're not allowed to have sweets. You have to wear a red shirt, which is, you know, a po red polo shirt. Everybody goes to bed at nine, but you get to stay up until 11 doing jumping jacks or putting your nose on the wall, whatever staff feels is necessary. Um, and you have to eat standing up. You only get five minutes. Uh, you only get uh, 15 minutes to eat and you have to eat standing up. And it's just, you know, constant. It's just, it was, it was just constant. Everything was, it, it was you never could do anything right after yeah. my second time in there. I could never do anything right. Yeah. And um, so, I, I mean, I openly rebelled. I got JCMT'd two times my second time in the home. I got, so towards, let me see here. I remember it was October 2008. So I remember, remember when I told you about <laughs> running away? Right. October 2008, we get a phone call. We are all standing in ensemble and we're told that just died she died on the back of a motorcycle in an accident oh. and brother matt come in and preached at us that night and told us that was god taking her out because when she ran away you know when she got raped and she left and she still practiced the truth that god took her because he was done working on her right. and that's a really that was my first that was my first experience ever ever with death i had never lost a family member i had never but and I had been close as close as we could get without conversating like you know we we we, we vibed very well together and um she's a she was a really sweet soul and I remember when she ran away and got raped when she came back her eyes like her soul was she was gone and she wasn't allowed to talk about it because brother Mac just said she was being punished so from 16 you were in there for how long were you there till 18 or were you there no for no okay Okay, so um, I was, I finally, okay, so about, I was about November, I had got so rebellious, they started keeping me just in the dorm, like I was on complete separation from everybody. I had carved in my arms, I had pierced my ears, I had, you know, done everything they told me, and I had got bent over Brother Mac's couch in his house and got paddled mm -hmm. for scraping the top of the dresser with um, safety pin. I got paddled for destroying Jesus's property is what he said. He had Miss Heather bend me over. He had a girl hold me and he sat in the chair by the window and watched while I got paddled. I went back to that, to that uh, school and I wailed, not because I hurt. I was so humiliated. Right. I, I was humiliated. And, um, but I, so I just rebelled, rebelled, rebelled. No matter what they said, I always did opposite because I just wanted to go. So, um, January, 2009, no, hold on. So December, they take my shoes away. I got right. to the point where when I would go outside, I wasn't, they took my shoes completely away. I had to walk around barefoot and it, that's December. I remember it was cold and I right. still, it still didn't make me want, they were trying to like make me like 
break me. They wanted me to submit to what they were, and I wasn't going to do it. If I had to do that until my 18th birthday, I was going to, but January, 2009, um, I had finally talked to my adoptive mom who, mind you, we don't, like I said, have a relationship, but she got brother Mac to, cause I convinced her I wanted to leave and join the army. Hmm. I said, I want to leave, you know, I, so she convinced brother Mac to allow an army recruiter to come speak with me. And I knew as soon as that recruiter came and talked to me, I said, you need to convince my adoptive mom to let me out. I will come join the army if they just let me out. And I meant it January, 2009, but I didn't real, I didn't necessarily mean like, Hey, let me out and I'll come join the recruiter station here. And like, you know, cause that was La Russell. That was in Joplin, Missouri. You know, I didn't necessarily mean that, but January, 2009, Mrs. McNamara and uh, Cassie McNamara, got me in their car and uh, took me into Carthage, Missouri and left me at the gas station right there on Central Avenue. 17 is a legal adult in the state of Missouri. And I didn't know that. Nobody knew that in the home, but Mrs. Mack knew that. And when they dropped me off, that was their thing is, okay, do what you want to do. And Brother Mack told me before I left that if I sent him a picture of myself from basic training or you know, in my uniform, he would use it as target practice. <laughs> and that he would pray for me, but they wouldn't think of me. He was, he, they were done with me. And he said, God was done with me. Turn me over to a reprobate mind. And that, you know, there's no, I, I, I wouldn't flourish in life that God wouldn't bless me. And they left me at the gas station in Carthage. Hmm. Like, I didn't know where I was at on a map. Right. I, I thought I was going home. When I hear about these places, when I hear about Heps of the House or New Beginnings Girls Academy, I'm thinking, man, these places should not exist. There, there's a, they they overstep bounds of what they should be but i'm curious from your perspective at that age like now looking back what do you think would have been most helpful for you as a teenage girl who's you know been through some serious severe trauma you know cuz cuz i hear your story and i'm thinking you know yeah maybe you were rebellious but like it's also one of those things too where if someone would have engaged meaningfully with you after one or two of these events, the whole course of your direction could have been completely different. So I'm curious what, looking back now, what do you think would have been helpful for you um, as a 16, 17 year old girl, you know, being faced with all these situations? If they really loved us the way they advertise in front of churches, all us girls would have come out better people. Mm. That's all it would have taken is just, a little bit of love because like, you know, like after the home, I stayed in Carthage for eight years. I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to leave to. Like I ran into the max as an adult. I've seen them and they've seen me as, you know, the, the lows that I've been in and that, and they've, they're just, you know, it's, if they would have loved us girls, like they said they did, then I'm telling you, we would have all been better. Hmm. It would just been having someone who, you could have actually talked to instead of being someone to and like so, when you know considered it negative talk when we talked about these things that hurt right and like but those things that hurt are what brought us there and you know at that point right. it's what time, makes like, it, it's what's forming you you know we're all formed by our experiences in one way or another so you know and that's one of my biggest concerns with these places is that there's i haven't yet heard of one of these IFB reform schools where someone is trained in mental health, someone is trained in, you know, 
any kind of counseling, you know, it's, it's very much the only thing that they do is the punitive side, which again, I think there's people on, you know, people explain the, the merits of all of those things. And I think, you know, obviously like there's certain things where like there is going to be punishment if you do certain things or if you, if you are actually, that's why Juvie exists and all these different things, but there's also a need for understanding why things are happening and, and why you're doing the things you're doing. Um, I'm curious, you kind of reference this, but, but have you stayed in touch with other girls from the school? And would you say that, you know, what have you, would you say that the percentage of them, you know, are doing okay now? Would you say that there's a lot who are doing probably worse because of having attended? Um, is there anyone you think it was successful for, even though it was not a preferred way? I can think of one girl. Okay. One girl that was okay. successful for yeah. one girl and it's, she's, but yes, I do keep in contact. Um, oh. I'm actually part of the, uh, the page on Facebook, the survivors okay. page. Um, and since being out of the home, I feel like I've been told like, cause I keep in contact with multiple of them on a daily basis. And like, oh. uh, I, I was telling just one of them yesterday, I was telling her, I was like, you know, I feel like, you know, it's crazy how strong of a bond we've all created with each other without ever being able really to conversate mm. in that time we were there yeah. because we weren't allowed to conversate except for on Friday nights, but on Friday nights we were only talk, allowed to talk about how good Jesus was. <laughs> we weren't allowed right. to talk about our lives. Yeah. So your history, like, you know, your past or anything like that. Yeah. That was negative, you know, so we talked to you, but we all, I can, you know, and I have such a good memory. So I remember all of those girls and like, you know, I mean, I, I, I check on them a lot. I like watching their fan, like their lives, but I'll be honest with you. M majority of us have went through a really rough patch about three years out of the home to about six years out of the home. Like I've been out of there like 11 years now, but I know the girls that I, my generation, it's like, we all got out and super excited and we're out of the home. We put it in our back of our minds and we just move on and we create a life. But here now, 10, 11 years later, it's like, it's like, we need to talk about it. Like we need to deal with it because we normal, I know, I know personally speaking, I'll speak for myself. I normalized my experience and didn't even really talk about it because people don't understand. And how, it's a really hard, it's hard to explain to people, Hey, I spent two years of my teenage years in a girl's home where I wasn't allowed to, you know, be exposed to anything other than Jesus, Jesus or Jesus. And it wasn't even really Jesus. It was this form of God they created to scare us. I think Brother McNamara's God was uh, was money. Hmm. And that's just my opinion. That's because of how they they groomed us all year long for the summer tour. You know, like right. summer tour was we all got on a freaking on a on the, on the tour bus. We'd go up and down the East Coast, and he'd put us on stage, and we'd sing. You know, and I'll be honest, we sounded like angels, <laughs> like us all being an acapella to old school hymns. I mean, that will, that will strike anybody's heartstrings, you know, and then brother Mac get up there and just pure manipulation play on the emotion that arose from that beautiful music. And he would put us choose girls that had some strong stories and put them, put us behind this, the microphone. And then they take up an offering and go, I have no idea what he ever did with that money. I know us girls, we slept in church pews. When we went on tour, we slept in church pews and our dinners were leftover dinners from the churches. Yeah. Brother Mac and his family were put up in hotels. 
but us kids, you know, we're, we're, we're just herded along and just all up and down the East coast every summer that, that we go on tour is what they call it. Right. So after leaving, um, I know you mentioned going through, you know, a rough patch and, you know, it, what was it where, you know, cause obviously now we're several years removed, you know, what has been most helpful for you as far as recovering? Is it just been that sense of community with other people who went through it? Would you say that's the biggest yeah. thing that's been helpful to you as far as? Yeah. Oh. yeah, because like, you know, a lot of those girls that I keep in contact with, um, they saw me come back front to the home oh. and they saw, they saw that hurt that I, I can tell anybody I went through that experience, but those girls saw that raw emotion that, you know, waking up first, first time being back in the morning and, you know, and then brother Matt telling everybody what happened to me right. and saying that the reason why I was prostituted was because he was punishing me right. and making me stand in the middle of the cafeteria while he did that. It's like that emotion, you can't make anybody empathize with that unless they were there and you know so those girls they we all experience that raw emotion with each other so I, that's why we cling to each other really right and that's the the, way, the only way i've got got through this because you know when i talk about my reoccurring nightmares of uh the girls home catching me as an adult taking my children away from me and then keeping us apart i've had that nightmare so many times as an adult but guess what i'm not the only one right and it's nice to be able to relate in ways that most of the community can't you know right yeah definitely you know you said you had like a lutheran background but um i don't know were you just lutheran because the family had always been lutheran or were you guys active in religion and that side of things well okay so my adoptive mom she's uh she was, she was a character. Uh, I haven't talked to her since I've been, you know, for a long time, but she was really physically abusive and um, very abusive to my brother and I. And um, she would take us to church as like a facade. I don't know, like, but she put us through communion and, okay. you know, so I was like, I experienced it like that much at least, but I think it really was a place just for us to go hang out. So we didn't have to be home. You know, I mean, she right. just didn't want us to it was just, it was just part of the routine. Basically. But it was, yeah, I experienced, the, I, I did communion, I did the church, you know, camps, I did all that. Right. Um, did you, when you left the home, so I'm just curious because I'm always curious what happens to people's, you know, religious side. And so like, especially with you, it doesn't sound like you ever had a positive, you know, necessarily a positive experience in that realm. So I was curious, is that something when you left the home, did you walk away from that side of things completely was it something where you know when you left you you know that's one thing that you wanted to rebuild how did that kind of look for you leaving the leaving the home um i really just you know i mean when i walked away from the home i mean i believed i believe i was okay i'll be honest i was scared to death of god i was scared i would i was scared i was gonna accidentally curse him one day and he was gonna like strike me down dead or he was gonna like I was scared I was going to do something wrong and he was going to like take out one of my family members like to punish me because that's what brother Mac taught us, you know? And, and um, I never, it, I didn't know that God was a loving God. 
until I just say recently, like really in the past couple of years, like I've had children, you know, and like, of course oh. I personally can't say that I look at the child and I'm like, Oh, that can't be, you know, I'm, I, that's God. That's so God. And, um, I just, I've never, I, I've tried to go to church, but every time I'm in church, I can't help but look around and just wonder like who's mm. faking it. And I know that's not right. You know, and I'm just, I always, I, I just, I always feel like there's just, and I get so in depth th- thought about like, but what's real? Like everybody's right. so convinced that their religion is real, but which one is it? Like, and I'm scared I'm going to choose wrong. So like, I really haven't like come to terms with my whole, what do I believe and who do I believe? Because I'm really like it, brother Mac instilled in us the fear of choosing wrong right yeah no i mean and again you say you know i know that's wrong but again given the context of what you experience there's going to be a mistrust of people who look anything like that you know and i think that's that's something you know my experience is nowhere near what you just shared but like even for me it's difficult for me to think about, you know, when people put their kids in church nursery, like I'm, I would never do it. I, I, like I, for me, that terrifies me. And, you know, so I think it's a, it's, it's again, one of those things where it's like, if someone from the outside could look at that and say, oh, well, that's wrong. Or you shouldn't assume the worst of people, but you've kind of been trained throughout your life to assume the worst. It's a defense mechanism for you. And so I don't think you need to be you know, apologetic for it. I think it's something where it's your, it's your body and mind going to overdrive to protect you from anything else happening. And so, you know, but I'm, I mean, I'm excited that you found, you know, kind of community with the girls. Cause I, I mean, I'm in that group and, you know, I see the, you know, the actual connection and kindness that's in that group. And, you know, I'm, ha- I mean, having kids is awesome and it changes everything. And I know that from my experience too. So, so I'm happy that you're, you know, now doing better, but obviously, you know, this stuff is sticks with you and there's a lot to work through and it's never, it's never going to flip a switch and, you know, everything's okay. And, you know, but I'm happy that you're, you know, you've made so much progress and made steps toward, you know, positive. Really, and like, <laughs> things, really honestly, you know. like I said, like this is 10 years later, you know, like if no. you were to know the in between, like I'm now just 10 years later, like being okay. Like, yeah. you know, I experienced the beauty of having children and like from being left in Missouri, like I never left because I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have anywhere to go to. So I stayed no. in that town and I had children in that town. And then I ended up getting just, my story is just, it's my kids got taken from me and because I didn't have any, any support system. They took me, you know, when they, when my kids got taken, they got placed in foster care, but my kids got taken because my ex-boyfriend beat up my three-year-old son when I was in jail and got my, and hurt my kid. And Missouri took my, and I, they took my kids from me, but then I, I mean, I just, it just broke me and it broke me. And I'm just now learning to be okay because like, I have a chance to be a part of my daughter's life. Right. And you know, like, it's one of those, I want to show her that, you know, shit happens. Right. I just want to be okay. So if you could say maybe to someone, I'll probably take this two ways, but one, if you could talk to yourself or to someone that was your age in the same position right now, you know, what would you say to them? And then on the flip side, what would you say to the parent, teacher, you know, authority figure who's maybe dealing with a a young version of you, you know, what would you want them to know about how to 
really help and how to, you know, help make a positive change. If I could tell myself anything, I would just tell my, I remind myself that this too shall pass. Mm. That, you know, it's nothing in life is easy, but everything happens for a reason. And I would tell myself that it's okay to not be okay. And um, I would tell an authority figure, really, honestly, like I said, it's just crazy what a little bit of love will do to somebody. I met my biological mom after 24 years, three years ago, and that's who I live with here now in California. And um, living, you know, she's loved me like I've never been loved before, and I'm able to be clean and I'm able to be, I got myself in treatment and I'm expressing, you know, I'm an AA and I'm a sponsor and I'm working my steps and I'm getting healthy relationships. I have my daughter back in my life and it's just, just love, right. you know, just, it's crazy what a little bit of love will do for somebody. Right. And if I would have just been loved, it's not like I want a different result because I love who I am today and I'm proud of myself for overcoming what I've overcome. But I just wonder sometimes what it would have been, would have been like if someone would have just loved me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, wow. That's, um, cause I mean, that's what, that's with your stories. It just seems like the, you know, the, the having a community of people who can understand where you're coming from um, you know, your biological mom stepping in and, and doing that. It's, that's really seems like it's been the key to switch things around. And, and I think the, the common thing throughout that people are going to pick up on, you know, is it really is that it's, it's how soon gets them to step in and like, love you like nobody else's. And, um, and the one place I think you should expect that is from a church or ministry, you know? And so, um, yeah, I mean, thank you so much for for sharing that. I think that's, I think that's a really awesome thing. I don't want to add a ton to what you just said because I think that's kind of the key to it. Um, but I I really appreciate you sharing that, and you know, I'm I'm beyond happy to hear where things are at now, and you know, I I'm just happy to see you. You know, I'm in the group too, so happy to see you keep you know getting better, improving, and um. Like I said, I know that I know that you can't just flip a switch and forget what happened, but um, I'm really excited for you for the for the changes that are happening. And um, you know, you. I think by you sharing your story, I think it's going to help a lot of people. So thank I you hope so, so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.